0: Let's talk e learning. This is Dr. Leroy Hill, Dean, School of Distance Education at the University of the Southern Caribbean. This podcast series shares success tips on e-learning, distance education, and online teaching excellence. The views shared by faculty guest speakers are their own. Today, I am talking with Dr. Rick Sher. Dr. Sher has been involved in the field of distance education for over 35 years. In his administrative and instructional design roles, he has developed distance education courses for computer-based instruction, educational technology, traditional print correspondence courses, two-way interactive video, and the internet. Uh, Dr. Scheer has worked for both private and public institutions of higher education and has consulted on distance education projects with community colleges, international institutions, and public school systems. His research interests include systems, dynamic modeling of distance um, education processes, learner controls in distance education, dialogue interaction analysis, and current policy issues surrounding accreditation and copyright law. Dr. Shea has published several articles, books, and book chapters on the field of distance education. His book with Dr. Saba explores the system's nature of higher education around the theoretical construct of transactional distance. And in 2010, his book looked at the theoretical aspects of transactional distance and dialogue in relation to the theory of transactional distance. Dr. Sheer currently serves on the editorial board for the New Zealand Journal of Open and Distance Learning and is on the advisory board for the University of Wisconsin-Madison Distance Education Conference and their professional development program. Today I would like to welcome Dr. Sheer to Let's Talk E-Learning. Welcome, Dr. Sheer, and thank you for agreeing to be part of this podcast and discussion. Thank you for joining us today
1: uh thank you dr hill it's uh, it's my pleasure to join you today
0: thank you and you know i i've, I've been following the, the the idea of transactional theory, distance theory for a while and the theory of transactional distance provides a very useful framework for planning in the context of higher education setting and uh, I've, I've i've been following most conceptualization of it and he presented it as a broad framework for the pedagogical Uh, planning and and framework of distance education. Uh, What exactly is transactional distance from from your discourse and and following and writing? And how does the the transactional distance theory impact or influence distance education pedagogy?
1: So it's it's always an interesting question um, in terms of what is transactional distance. it's really a fascinating model and it builds upon our ideas of, of dependence and independence. And it's, it's also a systems view of, of distance ed. Um, however, it's not one that can be measured directly as it's, it's both a sense of psychological distance and it's also this interesting measure of um, the possibility of miscommunication um, within a uh, distance education um, learning environment. So as we, as we look at the, at the theory, you know, we, we, we see it's, it's made up of, of three key variables, which are dialogue, structure, and autonomy. And each of these impacts this sense of transactional distance that an individual may feel uh, at any time during a course. Um, in a DE experience and, and it's something that changes. It's, it's not static, it changes. Um, a key thing to remember about, t- about transactional distance that we sometimes forget is that it's, it's not predictive. In other words, it, it's not gonna um, predict learning outcomes or success. It's there as a model to really help us think through our designs and, and, and the characteristics of our learners. Um, so, you know, at, it, at its core, we really think of it as a bounce between dialogue and structure. And, you know, much of the literature has, has discussed as dialogue increases, structure decreases. And it, it's impacted, both of those are impacted by this idea of, of learner autonomy. So, you know, what's, what's dialogue and, and what's structure and autonomy? Well, within, within the model and within, within Moore's, um, Dr. Moore's conceptualization, you know, dialogue is is really a distinct subset of educational interactions. It's it's one focused on dialogue ex- exchanges that lead to the creation of knowledge. And it's it's a dialogue that occurs in a kind of an open and trusted environment. So it's mm-hmm. it's this interesting subset of interactions. If we look at structure, we're really looking at something that's multifaceted. It's 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 uh this idea of a course structure is the idea of any time, any place. And, and it's, um, it's also a measure of how well the course can adapt to personal needs of each learner.
0: Okay, that's, that's interesting. And, and how did you and your colleague, Dr. Saba elaborate on Moore's conceptualization? Did you uh, extend it to a, in a different way? or how, I mean, I know that you have um, book chapters on this, I'd really love to see how um, your views extend um, transactional distance theory.
1: So, so Dr. Sabas and my uh, original work back in the the early 90s um, was really to help um, quantify transactional distance. So, you know, as I was saying, it's, it's, uh, it's a model that depends on, on Three key variables, and those variables are always changing, so it's very dynamic. So what we did was um, we kind of looked at this and said, okay, as a, as a as a dynamic model, can we actually model it in in a system dynamic simulation software? We looked at using uh, Stella, which which is a software that allowed us to do this, and and what this uh, what it allowed us to do is look at um feedback loops in terms of how does dialogue and structure interact how does structure and autonomy dialogue and autonomy and as we work through it we really come up with these ideas of for the learners are either active or passive or their or the faculty or director and director in their teaching styles and as we dug into it we we developed a kind of simulated um, online synchronous learning experience and collected a lot of data through speech acts and then fed it into the model and we were, we were really pleased at the end that the model supported Dr. morris uh theory
0: okay that's that's interesting because i mean one of the thinking while you were speaking i i was thinking how do you measure um because i mean uh putting it in your um modeling sim- simulation would be good but how how would a uh, uh a typical online teacher be able to measure whether or not their, their course had a certain level of transactional or lessening that transactional distance that's that exists um how do you measure it in terms of those different aspects that you've mentioned in terms of quantifying what are some of those things that you look for
1: so you know it's a great question because it's uh it's a very um time intensive process to um, To look at uh, discourse analysis or the analysis of speech acts within a course um, and you know to really get measured at that quantitative level, um, it takes a lot of time, and then it 's also we also know from semester to semester, your learners are going to be different, so how that plays out is going to is going to vary from semester to semester so I don't, you know, it's always interesting to take it and quantify it and look at this and try to expand upon that and add variables to the model. But I think that the essence is really thinking about these um, variables and what they mean to our courses and what what we want the learners to come away with based on our learning outcomes. So, you know, I think I, I would love to see more more people, you know, expand upon the model and, and do more in-depth analysis that way. But it it's, a, you know, it's definitely a research study and probably not one that, that a lot of faculty could take on.
0: Yeah, I mean, quite naturally, I'm seeing some resonances with Vygotsky or even do we thinking, um, but and I'm also seeing some kind of interfacing with um, perhaps the community of inquiry framework. And so naturally I'm tempted to ask how can online faculty um adopt and adapt transactional theory and perhaps try to marry the community of inquiry framework which has been around for, for some time and some empirical um research has been done on it to support remote teaching particularly now that we 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 are faced with um teaching at a distance
1: yeah so you know as we think about about the community of inquiry um it's a great model because it it uh, it moved us forward um to where the theory of transactional distance was very much focused on uh, the individual, community of inquiry really expanded it to the community of learners in a class, and it really it's really focused as um, as you know is on the online courses, the you know in DE, and not so much how we may have thought about our earlier delivery models and stuff around distance ed. So, but it's also one that's very contextual because how we look at it is gonna depend on the class size, the course level, the topic. Um, so I think, you know, as we think, as we think about Bogotsky and we think about this, you know, the idea of socially constructed knowledge, um, obviously this ties back very closely to, to Dr. Moore's idea of, of dialogue and the uh, creation of knowledge. And, then, and, and so we have to start thinking about, well, how, how do we integrate dialogue into a course um, so, it actually moves in the direction we want it to move, in other words, we move learners um, to a deeper level of understanding you know and, and and Garrison and Anderson looked at this you know through through their practical inquiry model that they uh, proposed at the same time as they brought out the community of of inquiry model and you know their idea was how do we move students beyond triggering an exploratory post? You know, and speech acts to to kind of this level of integration and and resolution and and here you have to start thinking about you know to have a really meaningful dialogue you know how what does that mean does that mean I have to break my classes down into small groups so they can actually have these deep discussions you know when does dialogue start to fall apart in terms of class size. Um, Certain courses, you know, if they're introductory courses, they they may not depend as heavily on dialogue as upper division and graduate courses. So it's a really interesting um, idea to to think about. So um, so we really have to, you know, kind of step back as Mm -hmm. as faculty and designers and say, you know, what what are we really trying to um, to obtain here in terms of learning outcomes for our for our students and. How do we want to structure these these variables to get to where we to get the learners to where we want them to be?
0: Thank you. And so, can we assume that the psychological and communication space between the learner and the facilitator be something that is seen in both face-to-face and online? Because that's sometimes I'm I'm actually thinking of the idea distance, but not distant. Um, um, and can we say that the educators, that ed- the ed- educators should be intentional in reducing this transactional distance, distance to make learning more meaningful?
1: So that's, that's really, uh, you know, really, really um, insightful. And it, I think it gets back to a lot of what Dr. Saba's early work um, when he was looking at this idea of um, distance doesn't have to be uh, geographic, it's, it, it's psychological. So, you know, here I like to think of, you know, many of our universities where we have large, large lecture halls for undergraduate students, and if we think of a student sitting in the back, and you know, they're they have this physical distance—not a huge physical distance—but they have this huge psychological separation between them and the instructor. It's 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 not much different than if they were in a different room someplace. They're really not engaged um, where we probably want them to be engaged. So there's this also this sense of in these large lecture halls, you know, high structure lecturing, um, limited dialogue, uh, and thus you, we have this sense of, of large transactional distance even, even in our face-to-face classes. Um, so I think, you know, ideally we always want to be uh, intentional about how we think about reducing transactional distance. And that means you know what do we mean about dialogue and how we're going to structure our courses to allow a level of dialogue that that we really want to see in our courses to to move the students to a to a level of, of deeper learning um, that we want them to get to
0: yeah i mean that's that's i mean that's that's not always easy. <laughs> And um, <laughs> it's not always easy. And I think this is where I think the measurement will help some persons, you know, like an indicator of how well they're doing, how bad they're doing. And I, I know that more stresses the development of transaction that is influenced by dialogue, as you indicated between the teacher and the learner, and the degree of the structural flexibility of the program. And learner autonomy, which is something that has been, you know, in, in distance education, we always talk about it in terms of agency over the um, over the learning procedures and, and and so forth. Can we assume, though, that there's some sort of um, equity with the, between those, or is there an imbalance in one affecting the other?
1: So I mean, this gets um, I think back to to um, some of the earlier comments I was making about the. The dynamic nature of transactional distance in that these variables are always changing, and they, they can change you know daily you know every time a, a student um, interfaces with a new lesson in a course, their ideas around dialogue and autonomy can change so so for example um, let 's say i 'm a, I'm a student and, and i 'm um, in a class and the and the first lesson has content that I'm very familiar with. So I may feel more autonomous at that point. I may feel like, oh, I know this, I want to go explore things on my own. I don't need as much dialogue. I, I, I don't need a lot of structure. And then you know the next lesson that they may be encountering content that they really it's new to them. And in an instance like that, they may be like, you know, I I need more structure around this particular um, lesson for me. And I really need to have more dialogue with both with both the faculty member and my peers to help me understand this content, and thus they move from being autonomous to, to a lower level autonomy in terms of how they think about this they, you know the variable for them for structure goes up, um, you know they need a little bit more structure, but they also need dialogue, so these things are always changing so there's no it's not so much an imbalance as it is this, each learner is looking for a balance um, within how these variables play out for them. And I think that's the challenge for us, for as faculty and designers is how do we design um, so learners, each learner can find that balance for themselves between these variables. And that's that's really difficult, it's easy, it's easy for me to say, but I know it's very difficult to do, um, especially, for distance ed where we um design the courses up front you know they're designed uh in a way that they can be used by multiple faculty often and they're 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 designing you know several months before they're offered as we think through these things so and before we even know the characteristics of the learners that are going to be in the course so it's a very it's it's a very challenging idea as we think about this but i think it really helps us Think through our designs to say, you know, how am I going to, you know, adapt to each of the learner if I can? Um, or is this a course just at a lower division that has to be highly structured and I know there's not going to be a lot of dialogue? Or is it an upper division <laughs> where purposely I'm not going to have a lot of structure? and I Because I want these dialogic exchanges. I want them to really dig into this. So, um, so it's, it's really about this bounce as opposed to imbalance.
0: Okay. I mean, I note also that um, transactional distance theory supports the whole idea of being able to plan carefully to for, as, as you mentioned, the dynamism that need to take place. And it's about always focusing that we've, we ensure that what, in the end, that we're looking for, that the learner is not lost in, in all of this. So one of the things that we see is the whole idea of a, a greater need for critical thinking to encourage critical thinking and social interaction and, and by extension, social change. Um, while this is, no, is, is, is ideal, what we've noticed is that quite a, a good bit of online programs push the idea of passive learning and, um, and by the way, they have, they're constructed in terms of the, the experience that the learner receives. Uh, so what advice would you give to facilitators in planning and, and, and designing their course to ensure that they have a, a, a very well uh, executed course?
1: So I think, you know, for, for me, the big thing is um, when, when faculty move into distance ed, maybe for the first time, or they're taking a course from something they've taught face to face, they have to... Um, they have to almost step back and and rethink their course. So, you know, what is work face-to-face in terms of maybe lecturing and maybe breaking students into small groups during during, quite frankly, what is usually fairly short periods of time in face-to-face classes? You're, I think they, they really have to think back, you know, take a step back and say, what is it on I want my learners to be able to do when they finish this course or when they finish this particular lesson you know what do I want them to be able to demonstrate and then how do i how do I help them get there um, you know what are the what are the learning activities i'm going to put in? Um, are they group based are they individual? you know how much dialogue do I want from lesson to lesson and so I think it's it's this this sense of really being able to step back, and I think this is really where um, being able to work with an instructional designer is very, very valuable because you know it brings a partner to the table to where a faculty member can bounce ideas off, off an instructional designer who's, you know their education has been about pedagogy and, and um, how to design. And the faculty, you know, is thinking about the content and where I need to get the students to, and you know, jointly, you know, they can they can produce some wonderful wonderful courses that um, um, are well suited for the for the learners at the level they're at, and um, for where they need to to get them. For me, one of the hardest one of the hardest parts for me right now is I think through. Um, What's happening now online and, and, and just in general is um, we have these curriculums in place that often have faculty um, needing to cover X amount of content in a semester. And it doesn't allow us often to step back and say, if I want students to get to a deeper level, what content can I, can I get rid of? You know, what's really essential here? So oftentimes I've I've said to folks, um, if you had to pick the five top things your learners absolutely had to walk away from in this course, what would they be? And then start thinking about those, not to say we can always, you know, get away from some of the other content we have to cover, but it it helps us kind of refocus our thinking.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I, I want I want to give you the opportunity to tell us about your new your new book, um, Transactional Distance and Adaptive Learning.
1: So, this was a this was a book that Dr. Sab and I worked on for for a while um, as we thought through it and. And it really builds upon uh, the research we did in the early '90s in terms of bringing the idea of, of systems dynamic modeling uh, forward the idea of, of causal loops and and the uh, system diagrams across the whole spectrum of higher education, so not just at the course level but at the program level, the technology level the the you know um, state systems, um, government systems. Um, they all interact at some level in higher education, and how they interact uh, is really interesting to, to think about. So we tried to walk through the different levels, um, in, including societal levels of how society impacts higher education to, to look at how these variables interplay with each other. So that was the essence of the book. And then another big piece of the book was trying to look at, at kind of a postmodern view, moving us beyond a kind of a one-size-fits-all and starting to look at more personalized approaches, um, which is uh, the section on adaptive learning, um, to move us beyond our kind of post-industrial, our industrial thinking uh, models of higher education and moving to more to where we think the learners may be today. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting book to, to read. It's it's not prescriptive. It's really to help people think through these different levels and to think about this shift that we're seeing in education.
0: Thank you. And uh, while we close, I, I wanted to just um, thank you for taking the time out. As we close, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share share with some best practices. You've been, you've been doing this for 35 years, some best practices in the field. For a very new um, um, teacher, facilitator who is doing this, um, who's teaching remotely for the first time, what advice would you give to them?
1: Well, that's a, that's a tough question because, um, I mean, first of all, it's going to depend if they're teaching you know, a, a synchronous model or an asynchronous model. Um, not that one is is better than the other they're just they're just different, so I think you know if you're if you're teaching a synchronous model using zoom let's say i I think it's it's good to go back and look at the literature from um, from the nineties really the eighties and nineties when we were doing a lot of two way interactive video because a lot of the stuff that we learned in those days is applicable today in terms of how do you engage learners um, at a distance in real time so they don't feel like they're just watching television. Um, and that that's tricky. So it's, because you have to think about, I have to slow my pace down. I have to think of activities I can put in. I, I just can't lecture to them. I can't, I've, I've got to keep them moving. And, and a lot of this ties back to, to literature that goes back to educational television, even television. In terms of attention spans, and you know, we know attention spans. We used to think of them around six, seven minutes um, for high production value um, video, but you know, there's been research that's come out over the last ten, fifteen years that show attention span of students has has come down tremendously when watching a video. Um, probably, probably less than two minutes now. So. So you have to think about about that, and you know how do I, how do I keep them engaged when I know it's so easy for them to disengage when they're watching? I think for asynchronous, um, it's a little different because here we're we're mapping out the experience way in advance, um, and we're thinking through um, the variables within transnational distance the variables with community inquiry. And we're we're thinking about how they're they're going to interact, and and you know we're thinking about the learner characteristics. So what, you know, in, in a broad sense, what are the characteristics of the learners I'm going to be? Are they traditional-aged? Are they adult learners? Do they um, have a lot of experience that they're going to bring to the table um, in terms of discussions? Um, you know, do I have to provide a lot of leading sort of questions for them to think about, or can I open up and and kind of say you know you know, give us your thoughts. What, what are you thinking? And then, you know, there's other things you have to think about is, do I let them read others' posts before they post? Do I make them all post so I get their authentic voices first? There's, there's trade-offs there. And, and I think that gets back to our thinking about, you know, we don't want students to get trapped into groupthink because we want their, their, their individual voices to come through. So I think um, it, it's all about planning really in and, and hopefully, having the time to step back to do that planning, i know I know you know everybody right now uh, in the environment when with with the health crisis and stuff is being um, kind of thrown into remote learning it's, you know, I think we 've come up with a new term as opposed to distance ed, knowing that um, uh, it 's more just in time sort of remote learning as opposed to how we think of of distance education but the realities are still the same of, you know, how do I, how do I do this?
0: Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Sher. I, again, thank you on on behalf of our followers, our subscribers, and I wish you success in your studies. And we'll be following more of your program. Uh, I I think you've raised some things here that I think that would be perhaps the content for our next podcast.
1: Thank you, Dr. Hill. It was a, it was a pleasure um, having the discussion today. It's always a topic that I love talking about so I want to thank you for the opportunity and